Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Each episode, I sit down with an inspiring person from the magic community. We hang out on their kitchen table to talk about Magic the Gathering as they share stories from the journey of their lives. This is episode 7. In this episode, I'm talking to Nathan Holt, co-creator of Walking the Plains and the new magic documentary, Enter the Battlefield, Life on the Magic the Gathering Pro Tour. Nathan studied theater with a concentration in acting and went on to do plays, some movies, and even stand-up comedy. Early on, Nathan and his co-creator Sean Kornhauser filmed a few videos that went viral in the community and quickly got picked up by Wizards of the Coast to create the series Walking the Plains. After covering the Pro Tour for years, Nathan and Sean produced Enter the Battlefield, Life on the Magic the Gathering Pro Tour. This feature-length documentary explores the lives of Reed Duke, Owen Turtonwald, William Huey Jensen, Chris Pakula, Patrick Chapin, Melissa DeTora, and Shahar Shenhar. Nathan and I also talk about the fundamentals of comedy, what makes a funny joke, and also how he likes to play magic. I spoke with Nathan over Skype as he joined me from his backyard in Philly. You'll hear a bit of internet turbulence mixed with birds chirping and cats meowing. I guess that's befitting for a character like Nathan. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and I am here today with actor, comedian, host, planeswalker, Nathan Holt. Nathan, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Where are you joining us from? I am at my home here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, outside on my deck on a beautiful late May, early evening. That is so wonderful. I'm out here in Seattle, and I am very fortunate to have some sunny weather myself. Let's enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, spring is my favorite season. Oh, that is awesome. And we're crossing our fingers that we're hopefully going to get some summers as well. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I like summer too. Well, Nathan, why don't we just jump right into it? Could you just tell us how you got started playing Magic? I grew up in a town called Plainfield, New Jersey, and uh, one of my neighborhood childhood close friends, his name is Tom, uh, he taught me how to play. We were both into, like, you know, fantasy video games, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest for old people who remember that kind of a thing. And uh, and also Dungeons & Dragons, we played that. So uh, when he discovered magic cards and showed them to me, um, it was a perfect fit. I was also an uh, avid collector of sports cards, baseball cards, basketball cards. So it kind of meshed two loves of mine collectible cards and fantasy gaming that's so cool you had a friend teach you how to play magic and then you guys just kind of hung out and played kitchen table top style or did you guys go and play competitively um mainly just kitchen table stuff we went to the local game store um a few times uh it wasn't really a competitive event i don't even know if there were magic tournaments at that time i think there were the annual world championship uh but the pro tour didn't exist yet uh, and I think the idea of hardcore competitive play was uh, a very much a niche thing. So uh, at that time, Magic was really this wild west where you didn't even know how many cards there were in the set. Or, you know, every time you sat and played an opponent, they would play cards you'd never seen before. There was no internet, really, to see previews or spoilers. So I don't know. I was competitive about it, but it, it was a much, much different landscape than there is now. Very cool. And what sets were those? Uh, Revised was the one that got me hooked. And uh, then I stuck around for, you know, I bought s- several packs of Legends and The Dark and uh, even Ice Age and Fallen Empires, I think. Maybe some Chronicles. But uh, yeah, the design game design got 
less good over those few sets, and so I stopped playing until about 2010 when I picked it up again. That is so cool. Do you still have some of those old cards? I do. There are not many survived. Unfortunately, I think I traded like a lot of my good cards. Like, oh, I'll give you six dual lands and this card and this card, and you're going to give me a thousand cards? How could I say no? And then you end <laughs> up with like 200 copies of Goblin Wardrums. Uh, you know, that, that, I don't know. But when you're a kid, you just kind of, you know, uh, there's not much you can do to uh, protect what like investment you had that Nobody knew what kind of an investment it was anyway at the time. Yeah, yeah, totally. I still have my Demonic Tutor. Uh-huh. Uh, I still play with that a lot. Uh, oh, and yeah. is that the old version with the pentagram on the forehead? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's I believe, very special. I believe the revised, yeah, I believe revised has that. Yeah, and the Unholy Strength pentagram as well. My goodness, yeah, that's, that's some very special magic history there. <laughs> yeah. And for those of you listening, Nathan is the host of Walking the Plains as well as Enter the Battlefield. Nathan, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with Enter the Battlefield? Yeah, Enter the Battlefield uh, was a project that we began uh, in 2013 um, when our executive producer, Greg Collins, uh, who is in charge of coverage at Wizards, um, he wanted us to take on a project that would be like a challenge for us. And he, he saw us doing something that was kind of more serious sports coverage. Uh, and we took the idea of doing like a season overview of like a year on the Pro Tour and kind of recapping results and storylines and whatnot. And Sean and I just wanted to take it a step further to make it an actual real documentary where we got, you know, we visited the players, families, and, and we got to know them. Uh, on a personal level and to make it a more intimate and I guess a uh, timeless piece mm -hmm. uh, compared to most, you know, sports style coverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really wonderful to go into the backstories of some of these players that we see all the time in strategy uh, articles and uh, also on, on coverage and deck decks and things. It was just you and Sean did a wonderful job bringing fans into the lives of these pro players more deeply. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I actually have a, a rather exciting announcement. Oh, great. Literally just moments before you called me, um, I got word that Enter the Battlefield is now available for download on Amazon. Oh. Uh, Amazon Video. And uh, it will be coming to Google Play and iTunes as well this week, I believe. We were expecting it pretty much any day now. Uh, so those are exciting developments. There's also, I don't have a date on this yet, but uh, we will be getting Chinese subtitles to put on into the battlefield, which would be our first foreign language subtitles to put on it. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, for fans of the film who want uh, to see their native language uh, subtitled for the film, please contact Wizards on social media and just bombard them with requests about it, particularly your regional office. So Magic Europe or Magic Spain, uh, Magic Brazil, whatever country you're in, if you want to see your language subtitled for End of the Battlefield, just start pestering Wizards in their regional offices for it. So anyway, <laughs> that's that's something I can say that's very exciting because I think the more people get to see it around the world, the better impact it will have and the more it will unite the magic community in whatever way that it can. 
That's wonderful. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. I think、uh, Magic is very much an international game at this point, and just to share stories about the community with、uh, non-English-speaking audiences is fantastic.、Uh, we're recording right this right now at the very end of May, so by the time this is released,、um, this may already be out on Amazon Video and Google Play. Right, so right, right. Absolutely, check it out. And if there are audiences that would like this in another language, just like what Nathan said, please tweet Wizards and bombard them and ask them for. Subtitles in other languages. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sam.、Uh, this is the fight I'm fighting right now, so、uh, <laughs> we need all the help we can get. <laughs> I'd love to segue into more about Enter the Battlefield. As a filmmaker with Sean, what did you learn out of this experience? Oh boy, did I learn a lot.、Uh, Sean's made a lot of documentaries. It's like. His forte, I would say, his specialty. He's never made something on this scale before.、Uh, his pieces have been smaller and, and, and shorter in length. But I learned a lot from him about how to produce a documentary. The way I interview people, for instance, is completely different in a documentary.、Um, when I'm on camera and walking the planes, I can ask leading questions. I can、uh, give information via expository narration. Uh, that's key to the viewer, and I can basically set up the interviewees to give a short little soundbite、uh, that doesn't need a whole lot more context in order to really pop、uh, as a quote.、Um, for documentaries, especially in the traditional filming style that we chose, where you don't see the interviewer on screen and it's just the person,、uh, they need to speak in complete sentences and to have like full context. Provided in their answers, so it just evokes a very different style of interviewing and a different relationship that you have to the subject at the shoot itself. In addition,、uh, whereas walking the planes is kind of silly,、uh, and we kind of you know explore the lighter side of magic,、uh, we we people can often be、um, their anxiety can be disarmed by the silliness, so that they can feel free to open up. Uh, because you know what they're talking about on camera isn't indic in,、um, isn't necessarily indicative of their innermost soul. You know, it's just something they're joking about with、yeah. a friend.、Um, but、uh, with a documentary like Enter the Battlefield, you really want、uh, to see kind of like the inner side of people,、um, which it's tough to be vulnerable on camera and to do that. And I think Magic players, especially,、uh, you know, they might. Be especially competitive players who have been trained to withhold information and keep their poker face and kind of keep their emotions regulated and controlled.、Um, that kind of getting that on, on camera is a much different challenge.、Uh, so it involves more trust and、uh, I don't know a closer personal relationship to the subjects. Did you have a prior relationship with any of these people before you did the film? Oh, absolutely! All of them, in fact.、Um, yeah, the the everybody that is in the film is somebody that I knew beforehand.、Um, Sean and I have been covering the Pro Tour for a few years, so we've done interviews with with these players.、Um, you know, Owen, Reed, Huey, Melissa, Detora, Patrick, Chapin.、Uh, Chris Pakula is a, a local player here in Philadelphia, and、uh, he's a very outgoing personality. Uh, and also has a rich, long history with the game, and so it was not very hard to、uh, strike up a relationship with Chris.、Uh, just being, you know, a thirty-something Magic player in Philadelphia, there's there's not a million of us.、Um, but、uh, yeah, so 
they were all good relationships that had a strong base to begin with. Um, and I think that what was, you know, tricky was taking that relationship to the next level where, you know, we start talking about hopes and dreams and fears and, uh, you know, kind of stuff, the way magic really affects your life. You spoke about talking to these players about what their hopes and dreams and aspirations were. What were some things that you saw when they shared those experiences with you? Some people uh, can do it more easily than others. Um, for some people, like Reed, for instance, uh, he just gets it. I think he just gets what coverage wants. Um, they want something personal. We want something candid uh, and honest. And Reed's very comfortable just being that way. He's just a very open and honest person with people in general. And he's also very accommodating. He wants to know, you know, the person he's interacting with, he, he's interested in them having a good experience too. So he's a really great guy. And uh, I think he kind of understands what Sean and I are going for. Uh, so he can elaborate on the pain of, of making second place at the world championship when he was so close to winning it. He can go on and on about how crafting jewelry and playing magic, you know, give parallel, there are parallels between those two passions and those two hobbies in his life. Uh, and, and he's well-spoken. Um, say for somebody like Owen Turkenwald, uh, whose father passed away, and we talked about it with him uh, in the film. It's a mini spoiler alert, sorry, I should have said that before, but um, that, that's a much harder conversation to have. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if anybody listening has lost a close family member, but uh, really it is, it is an intensely emotional and personal experience, and most of the time you don't talk about it with anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I lost my father-in-law, who I was very, very close to. Um, actually, you know, right in the middle of filming, enter the battlefield, it was right in the middle of production. And, uh, you know, I don't really talk about it with people. And if somebody put a camera on me and asked me to talk about it, uh, I would try to do my best, but it, it's emotional. So there, there's, a, I don't know, depending on the subject and depending on the person uh, and their comfort level, um, you know, there are just different challenges to, to sort of get the story that you want to be told on camera. Yes, I think that there were, we're so used to seeing these players um, almost as characters, these pro characters on the circuit, uh, talking about the game, playing this game from a strategic standpoint. And to yeah. watch this movie and this documentary and this film and interact with them and connect with them on a personal level, see where they live, see where they're from, see their family members and see what this game means to them, it was incredibly touching. Um, and I think that you did a great job because there were so many things that I did not know about these uh, these pro players that I saw and heard of for the first time. And there were some points in the movie when I was a little slack-jawed and I had to close my mouth because I was like, oh my gosh, Like, th there's such a connection there. And I think that the fans absolutely love it. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you know, that, that's a big part of what we were going for. But uh, um, you just hope that people can have something close to that experience with it and that they felt it was worth their time. Uh, that's pretty much all we could ask for. And on the flip side, Nathan, you talked a little bit about walking the planes, which is much more silly, much more goofy. Could you tell us about right, how you got? Right. <laughs> yeah, could you tell us yeah. about how you got started with that? Oh yeah. Um, so I I was really hooked on magic. Uh, I was you know playing a ton and consuming a ton of ton of content. And so uh, Sean and I had made some videos in the years prior. Uh, but then he had moved away to go back to school for a bit, and then he 
moved to Texas for a little while, and then eventually made his way back to Philly, and he wanted to make some new videos, and he asked me if I was interested in working with him again. And I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. I, I always loved working with Sean. Uh, and so I said, how about we go to this Magic tournament? And it was Pro Tour Philadelphia. It was the very first modern Pro Tour uh, where, you know, crazy... If you think modern has crazy combos now, you should have seen the format uh -huh. of this very first Pro Tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in any case, uh, we went there, we took our camera, and Sean said he wanted to put me on camera as a host of sorts and give me a Zoom audio recorder and talk into it as though it were a microphone. Well, it is a microphone. It's also an audio recorder. Uh, and we just, you know, I just basically improved and, uh, kind of like a little, I don't know, like freeform jazz, just talked to magic players and tried to think of weird, funny stuff to say or do at this tournament. And, uh, then the, the video went a little bit viral, uh, partially with the help of Evan Irwin creating a little remix to Sean's footage of Brian Kibler's hand shuffle. Uh, I think he said it to Every Day I'm Hustling, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the summer jam from whatever year that was to right. 2011. So then people watched the video and, and they wanted us to do more. And we did a Kickstarter. Uh, when Kickstarter, this was before I had even heard of Kickstarter, Sean was like, we should do this thing called Kickstarter. I'd never heard of it before. Uh, it was the early days of Kickstarter and we got, uh, a couple thousand dollars to pay for travel expenses to fly to California and shoot another video at Worlds. And then that video did pretty well, and then after that, Wizards uh, reached out to us and asked us if we would join their coverage team. And Walking the Plains is what we came up with, basically. That's amazing. And so that was officially then Walking the Plains number one, is what they made you guys. Yes. Well, yeah, well, after Wizards got us, then it, that was Walking the Plains number one. There's The other two videos I referenced are on Sean Kornhauser's YouTube channel, if you want to find them. <laughs> Absolutely. And then do you have uh do you know off the top of your head where, where that is? Maybe I can put a link in the show notes. Yeah, if if you go if you go to YouTube and, and uh type Sean's name, uh S H A W N last name, K O R N H A U S E R, uh you'll get his YouTube channel and then from there if you just type magic, I imagine, because uh, he's got a lot of videos on there, many dozens. Uh but the one I think is one's called Magic the Gathering, a professional tournament. And then Magic the Gathering, the World Championships, uh, something like that. So the two videos about Magic on Sean's YouTube channel, I think, would be uh, where you could see those if you want to see us before Wizards hired us and, uh, you know, when we were still kind of just playing around before we had really formatted our show into Walking the Plains. I would love to see that because you guys do such a hilarious job on walking the plains and there's always so much, there's a story arc, there's a lot of, uh, it's lighthearted, it's fun, it gets uh, the pros to also lighten up. And uh, earlier when you said that you were out there with just a Zoom recorder, just kind of doing some freeform jazz, um, yeah, I would yeah. love to see that. So I'm going to go looking for it and I really yeah, hope the listeners yeah. are also going to go looking for trip. it. I'm like too embarrassed to watch it myself, you know, just because <laughs> I think what we've learned about video production between then and now could fill the Grand Canyon. Uh, <laughs> so I often have a hard time watching my old stuff, but uh, it is kind of funny if you want to see us, you know, in a more raw state, uh, but it, it's cool in its own way. Talking about a little bit more of a recent episode, in episode 39, you have this skit in the beginning where you get advice from, I think that was Paul Cheon, 
And then he basically says you have to channel the player that you know is going to defeat this individual. And so you sit down and you start acting like all of these different. Do you know off the top of your head who you were, you know, imitating in those in that first yes. couple sequences? Uh, that's I'm glad you asked. Uh, so Mark Rosewater is kind of famous for having created these psychographic archetypes. I guess is what you yes. call them of magic players: uh, Timmy, Johnny, Spike. So I've always found that to be pretty profound. Mark gets a pat on the back from me, uh, as well as many other people, uh, for for kind of breaking that down. Um, Spike being the competitive player, Timmy being the kind of clever combo guy. Timmy, wait, what did I say? Johnny is the clever combo guy. Mm-hmm. Timmy is, I, I'm losing track of what I'm saying. Timmy <laughs> is the uh, fun casual player. Um, and then there's Melvin and Vorthos, are another kind uh-huh. of spectrum. Uh, that this guy Matt Pavada uh, kind of came up with. I, he was a, a one time the art director for Magic. Um, Melvin is the guy who cares about the rules and the game design from a numbers developmental perspective and uh, sees the cards as strategic game pieces uh, kind of a thing. And then Vorthos is the person who cares just about the flavor and the artwork and, you know, wants to have a, like a I don't know the right printing of the right art and the right card frame and, and and just cares about the aesthetic and the characters and you know maybe if their commander is I don't know Captain Cisay then every creature in their deck has some personal connection to Captain Cisay through the Weatherlight Saga uh-huh. Th- this is the kind of thing Vorthos would do whereas Melvin would not care about that so <laughs> um, the characters uh, in the order I think that we put them in starts with Spike kind of aggressively playing against Brian Kibler. Mm-hmm. And it moves to Johnny, who's bragging about his sick Giraper Aethergrid Tamio's Journal combo, mm-hmm. which is kind of a hilariously slow combo, if you know those cards. <laughs> um, Timmy is the kid wearing the backwards hat who's talking about how cool Olivia's sword would be if it had invisible metal. Right. Um, then, yeah, Melvin is the guy in the bow tie and the suspenders who's talking about how the mean toughness of this creature or the, this creature's toughness is above the statistical mean um, for creatures you know across the same mana cost uh, correcting for you know the current set and its place in the color pie uh, and then uh, Vorthos is the wizard basically and uh, the, the wizard character from Walking the Plains who has always been my Vorthos uh, you know I've always wanted to be a wizard and Walking the Plains was my chance to do it <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah. That sequence made me laugh out loud so hard because there was like this one that was just like, turn them all sideways, attack you for two. And then the editing was so funny because it would flash over to like Craig Wesco's face. And um, for a second, I thought that you were like kind of mocking the pros that you were playing against, that it almost seemed like you had lined up Spike, Johnny, Timmy, Melvin, and for those against the pros that had kind of those flavors. Well, I mean, if you're if you're doing like a spoof of an archetype, mm-hmm. it does kind of come across as poking fun of it, you know. Uh, but I think that you know we all know these magic players, and this is kind of them in their idealist form. You know, not anybody is a, is a pure incarnation. I think of Timmy, Johnny, or Spike. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's something that people said about Walking the Plains in the past is that it kind of teases the game. Um, you know, it makes fun of the game and makes fun of us. Uh, ourselves uh, a little bit and I think that's part of what good comedy does is to like explore 
you know, having a sense of humor about yourself and the community that you're a part of. Yeah, I think this is a great segue to ask you a little bit about your theater and your acting and also your comedy. Oh, well, I didn't. Yeah, I, I did. Actually, I did see this in the show notes. But yeah, let's go there. Let's talk theater. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, you were in a couple of short films and you also did some theater acting. Can you tell us about your background with theater and active and this creative art? Sure, yeah. Um, ever since high school, I, I was really into uh, the school plays. I quit soccer so that I could do the school plays. And uh, I don't know, it, it was just, I loved it so much that I went on to major in theater in college uh, with a concentration in acting. And uh, then after I got out of college, I just wanted to be an actor. Uh, so I got little part-time jobs to support myself while getting some acting gigs, some comedy gigs. Um, some improv comedy, sketch comedy, even a little bit of stand-up, uh, as well as some regional theater, uh, mostly comedic theater. Um, though I did a little bit of drama, uh, produced a couple plays at a theater festival in Washington, D.C. that were dramatic. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I just kind of make it made it work, you know, living on peanuts, living out of my duffel bag, uh, you know, small little bedrooms, uh, and Philly is a cheap place to live, so it's a great place to be an artist. Uh, you can, you know, make your rent on part-time work and then spend the rest of your time and energy working on your craft in Philadelphia, which is something I didn't see as a possibility in New York um, or, you know, several other more expensive cities. Uh, so I did that for a long time and uh, then kind of stumbled into uh, this work for video production for wizards and and what uh walking the planes allowed me to do was to uh, focus more on video production which is something that i only had a little bit of experience in beforehand uh sean had plenty of experience or you know he went to uh, film school for a couple years mm -hmm. um and had always been attached to a camera uh but i really saw it as a wonderful opportunity to get a chance to dig into the nitty-gritty of video production, which I think is a very important medium in the 21st century, going, you know, it's a, it's an art that you can share on social media, whereas theater and perform live performance, it's tougher to get a big crowd for that. I mean, you can, you can fill a room, but you can't get 50,000 players into a small comedy club, or 50,000, you know, uh, fans into a small comedy club, but 50,000 people can watch your YouTube video. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Are you doing any kind of acting right now? It's funny you should mention, I just finished a play that was a children's play that I was very excited to do because my son could come. Uh, and I did it with my brother. My brother uh, has some acting experience as well. And he's also, as I mentioned uh, in the soundcheck, he's very tall. So the two of us played the saddest basketball players in the world. <laughs> and uh, so we had won championships in high school. And then we lost all joy and motivation. We were very sad and depressed. And the kids had to think of ways to cheer us up and make us believe in ourselves again. Uh -huh. uh, so I thought it was very cute. Um, it was fun. A friend of mine, Chris, uh, wrote the wrote the play um, or wrote the roles for us. Uh, so we just did that. Um, I definitely want to do more theater. Going to the Pro Tour makes it hard to do full theater gigs because... You know, when you earn the run of a show, you need constant availability for like three to five weeks, um, you know, with no interruption. And, and uh, the Pro Tour often conflicts with that. Mm -hmm. But I did a show, um, you know, a couple of years ago, my last real full play. And so I'd like to 
kind of get back into it and do a little more. That's awesome. Do you like comedy better or drama? That's funny that you ask. I, I've always done comedy, I think, just because, uh, I don't know, I'm a big guy with a loud voice and a funny face and, I don't know, kind of a, a extreme personality, sort of. So I've always been, like, nudged into comedy by producers and directors and writers and whatnot. Uh, but I would say, personally, I like drama more. Like, uh-huh. if I watch TV shows, I'm way more into watching drama. I think part of it is, like, when you you know, spend a lot of your career working in comedy, it makes it harder for me to enjoy uh, on a gut level. Like, if I'm watching a comedy, I'll be constantly analyzing it from a comedy writing perspective and trying to figure out their mechanisms and structure of their jokes and whatnot. And, and it's like, if you're thinking about all that stuff, are you really laughing, you know, or oh, are you stuck in your head about it? So I think that, that and a lot of comedians will talk about you know, it's not unique to me by any means. So I, I love dramas just because they really take me out of my living room and into a fantasy world uh, where I can live in and, and know and love the characters. Interesting. During your acting studies, did you formally study comedy? Um, that's funny. I don't think I really formally studied it outside of like classic uh, comedies like Shakespeare. Uh, so I did formally study Shakespearean comedy and uh, you know, Moliere and uh, Aristophanes, you know, the Greeks. Um, I, in college, I, I and uh, yeah, mostly in college and a little bit in high school, I focused a lot on, on the classics. Um, but uh, no, I, I think uh, when you're learning acting, it's, it's more just about being emotionally available uh, on stage or on camera. And uh, whether or not it's that's like a more of like a pure skill to tap into, whereas comedy is, is, is a lot more complicated. It's just, you know, there's a saying in theater that dying is easy and comedy is hard. <laughs> Anybody can just kind of lay down and die on mm-hmm. stage. Uh, but making people laugh is, is really hard. So uh, I don't I think that that's probably true. And I learned most of what I know about comedy by watching The Simpsons and growing up with some really funny friends. Uh, who still make me laugh to this day. And uh, we always did a good job of uh, learning from each other's sense of humor. That's so fascinating. The creator of Dilbert, Scott Adams, wrote this article about dissecting humor. He says that there are six elements to humor, which is clever, cute, bizarre, cruel, naughty, and recognizable. Interesting. And if you have any combination of those six, it's going to create some kind of a joke. I love it. I love, like, um, I'll have to think about that. Uh, that's uh, when you mentioned it, it sounds really interesting and i definitely thought about similar kind of stuff um recognizable i think is kind of true for all comedy but it's, there's a paradox there has to be something recognizable and there also has to be something surprising and also a little mysterious or weird like you don't un- don't exactly understand why it's recognizable or why it makes sense to you mm-hmm. uh, but it does and then you're kind of tickled by that. I think that that's a lot part of it. You know, they've done studies in uh, primates mm-hmm. about what makes pri- like chimpanzees mm-hmm. or gorillas or something, what makes them laugh because yeah. they're the closest animals to humans. And they right. laugh. They laugh the way we, you know, they sound like we sound when they laugh. And uh, um, I guess uh, zoologists, uh, I'm sure there's a more specific term, primatologists? I yes, I think so. Things up now. Okay. <laughs> so then they observe primates. Um, it's false alarm uh, that uh, there is this sense that danger is happening 
you know, maybe one monkey hears a wrestling in, in the bush and, you know, goes, oh, no, every, there's a predator, there's some enemy or, you know, a rival clan or something. And, and everybody gets, you know, on their hackles up and, and uh, is aroused, and has adrenaline and has a fight or flight mechanism. And then it's like, oh, the silly, stupid monkey rolls out of the bush and oh it's just you know it's just gerald it wasn't an enemy it was a bomb and that there's sense of false alarm so that there's alarm and then there's relief that whatever you were scared about is not happening and then that creates the opportunity to laugh uh and that, that is what observed in primates i just think that's fascinating that's certainly a certain branch of comedy in and of itself i would say even a large branch is uh you know, the avoiding disaster or uh, disaster gets worse and worse and worse and then there's relief at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Lucille Ball eating chocolates off a conveyor belt because, you know, she can't handle it. So. That's right. Or the yeah. famous Vita meet a Vegemin skit where, or that she's doing a commercial, <laughs> right? <laughs> she's taking this vitamin supplement and it's supposed to, you know, help her health, but there's like, well, maybe a little bit of alcohol in it or something like that. And she just gets really drunk. Yeah, 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 exactly. That is fascinating. I'm also curious to ask, um, do you know anything about the new live action movie that's going to be on the Magic the Gathering multiverse that Wizards of the Coast is thinking of doing with Fox? Oh, man, um, I wish I knew more about it. My impression is that it is still pretty early in production. I mean, not even production, in pre-production, you know, they haven't announced that they have a finished script. I think the last that we've heard publicly is that, oh, geez, one of the writers from Game of Thrones was working on the script. Wow. In conjunction with the producer, Simon Kinberg, who was um, hired by Fox to pursue it. But all these things can change in, in this kind of big Hollywood world. You know, you, you really can't count on it. I mean, the Warcraft movie is coming out now. Yes. And I think that that been works for years, yeah. many years. Um, so, you know, and then it may, you know, it might have well as well uh, not have happened. You know, you, mm -hmm. you just uh, I have think it eventually will happen uh, because I think magic is a strong brand mm -hmm. and there's just such a constant hunger for content that they will invest in it but yeah i don't really know anything more that the public doesn't i do know that fox owns the movie rights to magic and that is part of what held up enter the battlefield for a little while hmm. um, because we had to offer the film to fox first uh and first of all we had to get their blessing for it to even al be allowed to be made um fascinating so wow. yeah so we had to wait for them to permit us to do it. And then after we made it, we had to offer it to them first. Uh, and then they turned it down and then Hasbro took it up, um, which is kind of what I expected. It, uh -huh. it made, you know, Hasbro Studios uh, would probably have more investment in, in the end of the battlefield. Right. Absolutely. Well, I really hope that that movie does uh, get greenlit and gets like into later stages yeah, of production. So that would be great. Oh, it'll be so funny. It'd be great. You know, it doesn't. If it's a bad movie or a great movie, who who cares? Like, you're right. just gonna go. You're gonna go with your friends. You're gonna make jokes about it. You're gonna either enjoy it or maybe you hate it. But who? Like, it'll just be something that brings magic players together. Everybody will talk about it. It'll all be a shared experience. And mm -hmm. I think that a large shared experience is a is a rare thing these days. Uh, so yeah, it, it'll be great. Yeah. Are you gonna audition? 
<laughs> you know, I did when they first announced that that uh, that Fox had been given this project. I definitely sent some messages. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they were read, but I, you know, you know what I would love. I would love just to at least be a, an extra in the background. Like uh -huh. Maybe I could be one of Jace's posse. You know, uh -huh. just like one of his hype men in the background for one scene. <laughs> you know, I really, I would love a line. You know, I, I, uh, I think if I don't at least try to uh, get an audition for it, then I, it, I will have failed. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I can't say I care terribly about getting the lead role or anything, uh -huh. uh, but uh, it would be sweet to have some connection to it. What, so okay, so if you if you were given an opportunity to be some kind of an extra, what would you want to be? Would you want to be like a recognizable creature, or do you want to be like one of uh, Kithian's irregulars, or what were you? I thinking? would love to be something non-human. Oh, okay. So I would love like a real, like, you know, one of those makeup jobs that takes four hours. So you want to be like a tree folk or a zombie? Yeah, tree folk, that would be great. A zombie would be great. Yeah. yeah. Tree folks factor into your tallness. Now you, now you got me thinking about tree folk and, and that, that's tickling. If I could be a, like a leviathan or, or a squid or some kind of deep sea creature <laughs> uh, down with Kiora in the depths, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. The voice of Octopus number three. You know? <laughs> that could be cool. That's you know? too awesome. That is awesome. Okay, okay, that's great. I love I love that. <laughs> that's amazing. So do you play a lot of magic now? Oh uh, well, I do play I play less than I used to now that I have a kid. Mm -hmm. So before I had my son, I was playing a lot, 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 lot of magic. Um and in fact, uh, there was a time, you know, before Sean and I were making the videos, um, where I was kind of half employed. I was only working like two or three days a week, you know, doing the, the actor's life. And, uh, I would just play with my brother for like nine hours at a time. That's awesome. We'd probably do that like three or four days a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those days are long gone. Now I'm lucky to get my weekly game in with my friends, uh, in, in paper. I play online every once in a while. I mainly connect to my cards by rearranging my collection and building commander decks, uh, and staring at my trade binder and, that I I'm back to cracking packs now that I've less time to play. Oh, I'm interesting. Like, oh, you know, I'll just like eh, I want to experience something with magic. I'll just crack a pack. Uh, and I I hadn't really done that since I was a kid. Uh, you know, but I loved doing this as a kid. So, um, but I still play regularly, just uh, not as crazy addict wise as, as I did a couple years ago. Yeah. What formats do you play? Um, online I play modern. Uh, in paper, I play limited, uh, and commander. Um, I have played in a few legacy tournaments because I was, uh, able to borrow a deck from a generous friend. Uh, and I love doing that. Yeah, but mostly we play multiplayer and we'll play limited multiplayer either with conspiracy or my conspiracy cube. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, uh, which I love and, Conspiracy 2 is coming out this August, so I can't wait for my Conspiracy Cube to get twice as awesome. Yeah. Uh, 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 Commander is great. Um, I love the deck building aspect of it, um, but also normal limited format, sealed, draft. That's pretty awesome. Nathan, is there anything that you wanted to talk about? Anything that you wanted to share or story tell about that we didn't get to? Sam, if you want to hear a good magic story, 
there is a member of the coverage team. His name is Rusty. And uh, Rusty is a longtime Magic player. And Rusty was playing in a Magic tournament. I can't remember if it was a Grand Prix. It might have been a PTQ, but it, it was some seriously competitive event. And uh, he... Oh, my cat is meowing. <laughs> Quiet, you. Okay. So, <laughs> um, oh, let me make sure I get this right. So, um, he has the card Mind Rot in his hand, and he has two Obstinate Baylots in mm-hmm. his hand. Uh, Mind Rot is, you know, uh, discard two cards. Uh, and Bayloth allows you to put them, you put them on the battlefield for free if you would discard a card. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is, is that Bayloth says that the opponent has to make you discard. You can't discard your own Bayloths and put them on the battlefield for free. Uh-huh. It has to be something your opponent does to you. Well, Rusty didn't get, he built his deck misunderstanding the combo, so to speak. Uh-huh. And uh, so he casts Mind Rod, and with Mind Rod on the stack, he realizes that it's not going to work. <laughs> he targeted himself, uh-huh. so he's going to have to just discard these Baylaws to the graveyard. <laughs> All right, and he has the sinking feeling of like I've done the dumbest thing that you could possibly do in uh-huh. Magic. <laughs> uh, I've just cast Mind Rod on myself for no value whatsoever. <laughs> um, however. His opponent has Pyromancer's Ascension, or uh, he has some way of copying the spell. So his opponent was like, has no idea what's happening. He's like, Mind Rot, what the heck? What is this guy doing? Uh But he has this opportunity to copy it. So he copies Mind Rot and targets Rusty with it Uh and says, Guess what? Discard four cards instead of two. Now the opponent is forcing Rusty to discard two cards, and then he just goes, they lost, they lost, gain eight life, they're on the battlefield. And it was rescued from his own terrible misplay by the opponent not understanding how weird and terrible his play was by copying my god. Oh my god. And I thought that, that I never heard of something crazier happening at a very competitive tournament in terms of the worst punt being turned into an accidental genius. Uh, so, anyway, if you wanted a short little magic story, uh, that's one of my favorite ones. Other than that, if your listeners want to know uh, about me, my Twitter handle is at WalkThePlanes. You can go to the Facebook page for Enter the Battlefield, um, and you can go to Wizards of the Coast YouTube channel to watch a playlist of Walk the Planes. And uh, as I mentioned, Enter the Battlefield, it's on Netflix, it's on YouTube, uh, and if you want to download it, you can get it on Amazon. And uh, very soon, perhaps even when this podcast is aired, it will be on Google Play and iTunes as well. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today on Kitchen Table Magic. I really appreciate you being here. I love being here. Thanks, Sam, so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Nathan. Enter the Battlefield is now on Amazon Video, Google Play, Netflix, and YouTube. And now, Wizards is going to be adding Chinese subtitles to the film as well. Also, if you want Enter the Battlefield to get subtitles in another language, tweet, email, and bother your regional Wizards Magic office to get them to add those as well. Be like those annoying kitchen things and bother them about it on social media. Nathan's Twitter handle is at WalkThePlanes. Go watch Nathan and your favorite pros in Walking the Plains on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Uh, I've always been a big fan of watching streams. You know, it, 
back in the day before Twitch, it was called like Justin.tv. Yeah, <laughs> for all the old school. I, I say old school, but uh, you know, it's only like five, six years ago, anyways. Um, so I'd always watch streams and I'd be like, oh man, this is really interesting. And then when I started, I used to watch StarCraft and all the other big esports games. And then I started watching people playing Magic. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I bet you I could probably do this better or more entertaining. And uh, kind of went from there. I started doing it every once in a while, had some fun doing it, and uh, kind of snowballed. I'm talking with Kenji Igashira, better known as Numa the Nummy. Kenji streams on Twitch and can also be found doing magic coverage and playing in the Community Super League. We talk about Kenji's stream, improving through playing online, and much, much more. All on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. You don't want to miss it. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Season 1 of Kitchen Table Magic. I'd really like to hear from you, the fans, about what you think about the show. Send me a tweet, at KTM Podcast. If you're listening through iTunes, Google Play, or your podcast app, leave me some feedback with a review. If you're listening on SoundCloud, leave a comment on the track. Visit our website, kitchentablemagic.org to sign up for my newsletter and of course email me anytime with your questions. My email is sam at kitchentablemagic.org and if you're enjoying the show please support us at patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic All of your donations go towards making this show better for my listeners and fans and of course all Patreon supporters get very special perks and remember if you like what you hear please share Kitchen Table Magic with a friend. Thanks for making it this far and not shutting it off when you heard all the announcements. As a reward to my loyal listeners, I'm doing a giveaway. I'm going to send you something cool in the mail, direct from my personal collection of magic cards. Okay, ready? All you have to do is tweet the answer to this question. In episode 1, my guest, Travis Wu, shared a story where he went to GP Oakland. Travis said something funny to Marshall Sutcliffe. What did Travis say to Marshall? Tweet the answer to me at KTM Podcast, and you must include at Travis Wizard and at Marshall underscore LR. So tweet to the three of us what funny thing Travis said to Marshall at GP Oakland. I'll choose at random a lucky person who tweeted the correct answer, and I'll send you something nifty. Well, we don't really have any sponsors for the show, you know how it goes, but in true magic fashion, I sold some magic cards to fund this amazing podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Tarmogoyf, because I sold some extra Tarmogoyfs I had to a friend of mine. Players often go on and on about how good Tarmogoyf is, and other players don't really see the value of Tarmogoyf because it just eats removal all day long. Regardless of how people feel about Tarmogoyf, I'd like to talk about another aspect of Tarmogoyf. What is it, anyways? I mean, look at the thing. It's like a blob. It's got eyes everywhere. It's got spines everywhere. In the Future Sight artwork, it looks kind of like a bison gone wrong. And then in the Modern Masters artwork, it looks a lot better. Like, we kind of know what it is. But the thing has a gaping mouth that covers the entire face of whatever it is. And also, what is a Lurgoyf? I mean, what is it? I tried to Google it. I couldn't find anything. It was all magic-related. I just said what a Lurgoyf was. But that doesn't really answer my question. So, I don't know. I guess for $140, I'm buying a two-drop that I'm still not really sure what it does. All I know is that it swings in for a lot of damage and closes the game. Maybe that's what it is.